and welcome to Jaffa Cakes for Proust. This is our pre-launch special because a situation arose which we couldn't get a full-length podcast out of. Wasn't suitable for the sitcom club, even though it grew out of the sitcom club, but was definitely within the purview we've set up for Jaffa Cakes for Proust. Now let's start at the best place, the beginning, and answer the question that all listeners are asking right now. What the hell does Jaffa Cakes for Proust mean? Well, you know the famous incident, I think it's in Search of Times Past, where Proust talks about eating a petty madeleine biscuit and how the taste of that mixed with tea causes his memory to fire off. I haven't actually read the book. I just know it as a general Oh, it's a book, is reference. it? Right. It's a book, yes. Eating a biscuit, drinking tea, the flavour causes his memory to fire off to a very specific time. Initially, I coined the phrase to describe the effect of looking at well-made television mocks. You know when people used to do galleries on the afternoon programmes follow shortly website? What if Rediffusion had kept going past 1968? What if Thames had started in 1955? That kind of thing. People would fake up idents and menus and all the interstitial gobbins of television. And the really well-made ones just looked so convincing, causes the memory to misfire. So I described the effect as like force-feeding Marcel Proust Jaffa cakes. This reminds me of something but doesn't. I now have a second definition which has come up, which is Marcel Proust remembering the one day that there weren't any petty madeleines. So I remember there was something, there was one day they gave us this and they had like a little orangey bit and there was chocolate on top. I've never seen them since. And someone went, oh, it's Jaffa Cakes. Here, have one. Ah, my memory is fired off. <laughs> it's the second kind of Jaffa Cake we're talking about today. It's a topic that has been mentioned i think at least twice on the sitcom club and of course it all came to a head during the editing of one series wonders of 1988 this tv show called nuts one day in 1986 i'm sitting in front of the television and something unfamiliar comes on and it's made in such a big show busy way we have freeze frames of the performers in the opening titles with their names their names come before the title This is clearly meant to be highly, highly significant. And they're foreign names. Somebody comes on and blows a balloon with a title on, and it's on film. And it's not like anything I've seen before. It's made with a different, slightly different televisual grammar. And it's never seen again. Not to me. It was shown a few weeks later on Central Television. Have you ever had a situation like that where something comes on TV, you see it, and you don't see it again for a very, very long time, and you start to wonder if you ever really saw it? It has happened. It has happened on occasion. And, I mean, the internet is a great support group for this kind of thing, (laughs) because previously you would just have been left wondering forevermore. I mean, what would you do? Would you ask people at the local corner shop? Would you give them that description that you've just given us right now <laughs> to see if they happen to recall it? And of course, they never do, and they never have a clue what you're talking about. Well, what I've given you there is information subsequently gleaned. Here is exactly what I remember from that time. It was Norwegian. It was a sketch show. It was called Nuts. And... 
there were brick bumpers and I think there was an ugly girl or maybe it was an ugly Mona Lisa or maybe it wasn't. And the brick bumpers went, Nuts! (laughs) (laughs) And many is the time since I first got access to the internet that I would just search Norwegian comedy nuts and got nothing, absolutely nothing. (laughs) Put it into the IMDb, nuts. I got nothing. I would ask people about this. They would not know what I was talking about. And so eventually it becomes, this is some fake memory. Or some wild misinterpretation. Clearly, why would Yorkshire Television show a Norwegian television show just once? What a preposterous thought. (laughs) Let's just develop this a little bit more, because I think the first time that you mentioned this to me was probably about a year or so ago. And some people listening to your description there may think, what do you mean it went out on Yorkshire once and then went out on Central once and that's it? Well, that's nonsense to begin with. Now, I personally can confirm that, as far as I can tell, that is indeed the case. I mean, as far as I knew, it was networked, which does explain one reason why my reminiscence is quite so isolated as well. One morning, one ITV region, a second morning, another ITV region, not across the country, not all of us watching it at the same time. So that isolates it. Now, we identified that the two dates in question were school holidays. So they went out on separate mornings, ITV regions, doing their own thing, basically just showing their own sort of mishmash of films and bottom material and so on. And, of course, nuts is not the easiest thing to search for because you get lots and lots of things. For example, the magazine called Nuts for a Star and then everything else. Yes, because that, that, they had Nuts TV, didn't they, at one point? Was, was that... I don't know what channel that was on. Well, that, that was that was it. Yes, it was called. It was a branded. It was channel. a channel. Yep. Oh, okay, I thought it was a TV show, but yes, Nuts TV certainly made it much more difficult to search. And also, as far as just looking for TV listings and so on in newspapers was concerned, Nuts, Peanuts, Academia Nuts, so on, etc. So that made it damn near impossible. It was a real needle and a haystack job. But we searched and searched. A couple of the ideas that I put forward, which you correctly dismissed. One was that there was a Channel 4 series. This is true. There was a Channel 4 series in 1985 called Assaulted Nuts, a sketch show. And I said, are you sure you're not thinking of that? Because I've got lots of listings for that here in 1985, and that's close enough. That's very nearly the period of time that you're talking about. But as you said, you were absolutely convinced it was on Yorkshire and that it was on during the day, and it wasn't a late night thing. And that I didn't recognise anybody in it also found program from Yorkshire, so okay, this looks better. That looks promising. The program was called N-U-T-S spelt out, and I think it was from 1977, and it had various people, including I think John Bird, and possibly Chris... Roy Kinnear, Barry Took. Chris Emmett in it, possibly? Yes, and yes. like I say, 77, so the chances of this suddenly going out on a summer morning in 1986 were a little bit strange, but it's still Yorkshire, it's possible, and we sort of banded that idea around for a little bit and eventually we sort of thought, no, this doesn't feel quite the right. The whole thing is if I'd seen Chris Emmett and Roy Kinnear, I would have been comfortable. I think one of the reasons this stuck in my memory was I didn't know what it was that I was watching. 
Was it like the Mex Headroom incident? And a bunch of Norwegian comedy terrorists <laughs> taken over YTV. For my part, I had no recollection of this program. Did you think I was lying or had just gone crazy? Okay, hold that thought there, Ocho. Dear listener, I can never in the future suggest to Ocho that he's got a false memory stuck in his head. And the reason is because he told me once about this quantum leap themed episode of the upper hand and i just immediately called bullshit i said there was no way that an itv sitcom as popular as the upper hand would have an episode that was centered around an american import and bbc2 at six o'clock of the evening forget it you've obviously got the wrong end of the stick somewhere and he found the bloody thing and sent it to me and i sat and watched it and yes it was entirely so anytime i ever say no i think this is a bit far-fetched or trouble shout i invoke the law of quantum leap so i'm snookered what can i do but yeah i did have my doubts i have to be honest i had my doubts but the well, fact I that had we, my doubts well the fact I that we the fact that we found it though that we found an instance of something called nuts randomly so to speak on yorkshire one summer's morning and there it was again on central so it wasn't just a misprint or something i mean it wasn't like i remembered what year it was but it was like 1986 that sounds just about right so we do a few more searches over the next few months nothing comes to fruition really and exactly as you said what the hell do you search for exactly i mean you can't just put the word nuts into Google, you'd still be here right now looking for all the results. But then, a few days ago, a breakthrough. I'm editing the sitcom club because those shows are actually edited. And I come to my bit where I mention that I want access to every single database in the world so I can find out something about nuts. And I think, you know what? I'm going to give this another go. And I search for, in quotation marks, show called nuts and Norwegian outside the quotation marks. And the first thing that comes up is something from Yahoo Answers about a show called Turkey Television, which was a Canadian show. But there, in bold, in the little preview it gives you in the search, it says, Norwegian show called Nuts. (sighs) So apparently, Turkey Television had used segments of Nuts. So I've got something now. So I search Turkey Television and Nuts. Another page says, yeah, they used segments from uh, the NRK show, Nuts. I search NRK Nuts, and I'm taken to the NRK website. NRK is the Norwegian state broadcaster. And there it is. Nuts. But it was made in 1982. I'm looking at this page, and apparently NRK has most of its Montreux Festival entries on its website. So I take a look, and it is it. It is the show I remember. (laughs) Because the first thing I see is this man in funny clothing going into a grocery. And he goes to grab a coconut, and it's that old thing of... Did they ever really stack things up like that in supermarkets? It only seems to be a comedy trope. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, actually, no, I can tell you because I've seen it with my own eyes that I know of at least one Tesco store that had bottles of wine stacked up in such a manner. And the reason I know that is because I happened to come around the corner at just the moment they all collapsed. Oh, 
Hey, grocery shop, stack of tins, stack of coconuts. He picks out a coconut and the tins fall down. And then we have the freeze frames and the Norwegian names. Norwegian names right at the top. That seems to make sense. And then we cut to a glittery curtain and a man walks out in a dinner suit and he's got weirdly spiked hair and one of his teeth is blacked out. I don't quite see the direct comedy of this, but the audience, maybe they're canned, I'm not sure, give it a big laugh. And this suddenly starts really causing the memory to fizz. Because I would have found that spiked hair a bit unnerving as a child. I was a bit freaked out by the Statue of Liberty. In my mind, it would have been, oh God, the slight Statue of Liberty, slight suggestion of a abstract or modern interpretation of the Crown of Thorns. It would have weirded me out seeing that spiked hair. And he pulls out a balloon and he starts blowing and it's got the word nuts on it. And the balloon pops and the voice goes, NUTS! I have found nuts. I have slain the white whale of memory. And it's weird. The thing was, is I was always convinced that when I finally found nuts, some part of my memory would be incorrect. It was a Norwegian sketch comedy called Nuts. No part of that memory is incorrect. (laughs) That is exactly what it is. What it turned out to be was it was a Montreux Festival entry. It was a compilation from a sketch show called Clean Cocos, which Wikipedia translates as Sticky Coconuts, by a comedy group called KLM. Trond Kirkvag, Knut Listad, and Lars Mjoen, and I've probably mangled their names. So it was all true. (laughs) And also we have these strange little interstitials. There are... I think there are too many of them to be really break bumpers. And it's actually mentioned inside the show that advertising's not allowed on NRK. It is a government-run broadcaster. And one of them is the Mona Lisa, but the big reveal is it's an ugly version of the Mona Lisa. And there's the Statue of Liberty, an ugly version of the Statue of Liberty, and there's a woman, and you can see a tonsil, she's yelling. They're all drawings. And every time that there's a voice that will say nuts, and yeah, one of them very just believe goes, NUTS! Doesn't it? Not quite like I remembered, but it's close enough. <laughs> it's weird, and we've watched it. We have. And according to Wikipedia, KLM site Monty Python as being their primary influence, it's more goodies-ish to my mind. And Mooncat, you said it was like clean Benny Hill. Yes, yes. But it does make sense that it's the kind of thing that you can have in to fill a stray half hour. It's a best-of compilation. It's mostly visual. I can only think of one sketch. There's one about a hand grenade where there's much talking, and that's been reshot in English. I did take a look at an original Norwegian edition of Clean Kokos, and that did have lots of talking in Norwegian. But even then, about 50% of the stuff that was in Nuts was in the Clean Kokos that I watched. I was actually a little bit surprised, having seen it, that... It only went out as a sort of regional filler, so to speak, because I thought it would be ideal as one of those things that turns up on, say, Children's ITV in the summer, just occasionally. Remember how, for example, you used to get things like European folk tales would turn up? Or you used to get, specifically, here's this little drama, and it's from, say, Helsinki, for example, and it won the Montreux Award, and here it is here. Or The Adventures of Mr. Rossi. Hey. Oh. Happy days. No, that irritated me. Oh, come on. How can you be irritated by Mr. Rossi? 
There's two dubs of it. And the one that we saw, Mr. Rossi came out and said, just call me Rossi. And then the voice that came in, which I think was a version of the theme tune, was dubbed by something like the Studio Choir of Canada. Something along those lines. So they go, just call me Rossi. And this voice comes, Mr. Rossi. You've mispronounced the name, and that's like the... F- okay, I know that you're not to know, session singer. But I didn't necessarily I know he hear him necessarily, say, it's, Rossi. It's the kind of thing that annoys you. When a man comes in, says his name, and then the first thing you hear is the theme tune, mispronouncing his name. <laughs> there is a second dub, which I found on YouTube, where it's a different voice. It's a less perky voice. Hello, my name's Mr. Rossi. Sounds like the map on Dora the Explorer. I hate the map. <laughs> I've never seen the map. I've never yeah. seen. I've never seen Dora the Explorer, so I can't comment. But you cannot hate Mr. Rossi. Mr. Rossi is a wonderful. I don't piece hate of work. the man, <laughs> and I have a vinyl copy of the soundtrack. It's lovely, isn't it? Lovely, isn't that a lovely soundtrack? It's such a nice, happy little song, and that kind of thing going out on. ITV, when you've normally got locally home-produced programming is one thing. And then that going out a networked as well of an afternoon. That again is something a bit odd. And if you'd switched over to Children's BBC you probably would have found, at that time of year, probably a Children's Film Foundation. Hint, hint, future traffic uh-huh. aches. Anyway. Okay, now you know that I'm pleased that you found Nuts. What did you think when I sent you okay, that link? So I get a little beep on the iPod and I'm sort of half asleep and I get this thing come through and it just says, look! And I was sort of thinking there's a couple of things that this could be. One of them, I'm not going to name it just now because I've got it on my notes here. We'll come back to that later on because we've still got a Holy Grail item to find. But I was thinking, okay, well, is it Maybe an episode of Bruce Forsyth's Hollywood or Bust or something like that. Or maybe somebody's found an episode of In for a Penny with Bob Todd. <laughs> and I click on it and there it is. And I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm stunned. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely chuffed that it's been found. I'm also, I've got to be honest, this is purely selfish from my point of view. I'm also a little bit upset that as your memory has been vindicated, mine has recently been proved faulty in the worst possible way. Okay, so we are searching through archive listings and we stumble across some details for, again, 1986. Seems to be a popular year for this kind of thing. And there was a series on BBC Two called TV50. So it was the 50th anniversary of BBC Television. And they had a week-long series of programmes We found some bits and pieces on the Mausoleum Club forum which were discussing changes to the schedule after it had been published. Like, for example, they were going to show an episode of Not Only But Also with Dudley Moore and Peter Cook, the episode of John Lennon, and then suddenly, for whatever reason, they couldn't clear it, so they had to substitute that after it had gone to press, for example. But in the process of looking for all these details, I said to yourself, one thing I really do remember quite vividly about that TV50, I remember seeing the Not Nine O'Clock News compilation, remember that? And I've seen a VHS recording of that subsequently, so that's ticked, that's safe. And the other thing I really remember very strongly was that they showed an episode of The Generation Game. However, it was Larry Grayson and Isle Sinclair hosting. And I remember thinking at the time that was a bit odd, because, you know, Larry Grayson hosted for four years, whereas Brucey 
hosted for seven years. And of course, this is before the revival of Brucey in 1990. I said to yourself, it was a bit, bit funny them choosing Lanny Grayson one, and I wonder if perhaps that had something to do with the fact that Bruce Forsyth in 1986 was under contract to LWT. Maybe there was a an issue there, perhaps. I mean, it may have been something along those lines. So I started looking for the listing for this, just to see which particular edition it was. And all the information that I'm finding on Genome, the BBC Radio Times database, was for the Generation game with Bruce Forsyth. And I'm thinking, oh, damn it. I know what's happened. We've just been reading that forum thread about how some of the programmes were changed after the listings had gone to press and they've still got the original listings. They must have planned to have a Brucey one and ended up substituting it for Lanny Grayson. Now, I'm not entirely sure what my thought process was when I came out with this, but I know what I meant, even if I can't explain it properly. I said to yourself, Ocho, as if to back up my case to strengthen my argument, I said, it definitely was a Larry Grayson Generation game. I remember that because that afternoon we'd been shopping at Fine Fair. Was this a special treat? <laughs> no, it was, no oh. it was nothing unusual about that. We were doing our shopping at Fine Fair and then we came back and then we watched Larry Grayson's Generation game on TV50. I started going through newspaper listings and again, I'm just finding Bruce for Slife. Bruce Forsyth, Bruce Forsyth, and I'm thinking, no, you're all wrong. You've all got this wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. So eventually, I ask on Facebook, I say, look, people, help me out with this because the internet is wrong and I'm right. Can somebody please give me some evidence for this? And within about half an hour, I was being deluged with YouTube links of the actual footage itself. It was a bloody Bruce Forsyth generation game from 1973, and there's a surrounding continuity on TV50. And I am not overstating this, I genuinely am quite upset about this, because I've had that memory stuck in my head, supposedly, for the past 29 years, and now I discover that it's wrong. So, I don't know what to believe anymore. You're not carrying around any more unpinnable memories, are you? Well, there's a few. There's a few, and we can discuss them. I mean, certainly top of my list as far as things that I need to find, the Jacksons. It got repeats across the network various times, around about sort of 88, 89 thereabouts, as I recall. And there's one particular edition of the Jacksons, CBS show from 1976. The two things I remember about it, I remember seeing it on a Sunday morning. First of all, David Letterman was one of the guests on it. And secondly, and specifically the bit that I want to find, there was a sketch where a fella says, Darling, I've brought a horse home. I'm going to bring it in. And then he stands out the door and he's going, Come on then, horsey. And he's clearly there's nothing at the other end of the door, but he's trying to bring this supposed horse in. And this goes on for minutes. I'd like to think it was the best part of about 45 minutes. The chances are it's probably about 30 <laughs> seconds. But it just tickled me because it was such a weak gag that was then extended for far, far longer than it needed to be. And then I think they came back and did it again <laughs> later on in the episode. So I've looked. I can't find this damn thing. I can't find any DVD releases. If I found a DVD release of this series, I'd probably buy the bloody thing, even if it was from Australia, just to be able to prove this point. But now I don't know what to think, because Larry Grayson turned out not to be true, so maybe I just made up this sketch. Okay, I'm fairly sure that the Jacksons had a CBS show in 1976, because the, <laughs> the evidence seems to be overwhelming. But I don't know, maybe I dreamt the bloody thing. You can't trust your memory, can you? Except you can, because you've remembered everything about nuts correctly. 
I'm being proven correct. Nobody's more surprised than I am. There's one other thing I'd like to pin down. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what? Sorry, I, you, I, know, I know what's coming, that's all. You still don't believe me on this one, do you? Well. And I doubt myself, but I really want to know what exactly it is that I did misremember. It would be the summer of 1988, and my family took a holiday to Hoyk, which is in Scotland, just across the border. So therefore, we were in the border television region. I didn't, curiously enough, watch that much TV that holiday. Well, I suppose my parents probably wouldn't let me go all the way to Hoyk just to watch TV. But I did happen to be in front of the TV, and I'm going to say it was was probably a Friday afternoon, and it was the local news program, I think, their equivalent of Calendar, which would be Look Around, yes? Yes, Look Around was Borders program. And they had a bloke who was introduced by some slow-motion video of him throwing himself through a brick wall made of fake bricks. I think the brick wall, was, it, was, it was a studio shot, it wasn't location. Now, just to interrupt you there briefly, that does sound very much like the title sequence to the Paul Squire show from ATV in 1981. Are you sure you're not getting mixed up with that? It wasn't 1981, and he was wearing a he Hawaiian shirt. No, it wasn't Paul Squire. And he was reading out children's letters they wrote into him. I don't know if they were sharing jokes. And if you got your letter read out, he sent you a brick I think it may have been Foam Rubber, and it had whatever his name was, is Comedy Brick painted on it. And again, I haven't been able to find any evidence of Border Television having a man who read out children's letters who sent children painted bricks. <laughs> but it's an unusually specific memory, and it was the summer of 1988, a mere two years after Nuts. More recently, my memory should be more accurate. Now, the thing is that an organisation that I'm involved with, recently they had a awards ceremony and one of the judges for it was Fiona Armstrong, ex of ITN, now of Border Television. And I wasn't aware until the awards ceremony took place that Fiona Armstrong was one of the judges. And I actually said to yourself at the time, damn it, if only I'd known in advance, then I could have contacted the organisers and said, could you pass this message on to Fiona Armstrong, please? And they would have read, <laughs> hello, Fiona Armstrong. If you're not too busy for one afternoon, could you have a look in the Border Television archives for any evidence of this comedy brick that was sent? Come on, they must have a shelf full of comedy bricks that were never sent out. <laughs> See, I've suggested a couple of things that this might have been, but I think you've batted these away. I've suggested, for example, that it was the Steve Blacknell game show Knock Your Block Off from 1985, which involved something along those lines. It had like a sort of big brick wall, that kind of thing. Did he actually compliment the children on the letters and say, oh, and I've sent you one of my comedy bricks? He didn't. No, because he didn't have any letters. No, well, there we go. <laughs> By the way, just before I forget, I didn't actually introduce it with a view to mentioning this, but just because it springs to mind, I mentioned Paul Squire a moment ago. The only evidence that Paul Squire actually exists is that there is a little trailer for his ATV show on YouTube that's been doing the rounds for the last few years. And this is an instance of, I would say this falls into the category of a willing false memory. The first time I ever saw this trailer, the bit rate was so low that it was quite difficult to make out precisely what was going on. And there was a lot of fast paced action. 
so you've got a lot of transitions and what have you. Doesn't really lend itself to being able to make out precisely what's on show. I've since discovered that what happens in one particular scene is this fella puts his money into a vending machine and then the vending machine then spits out the coffee in the direction of his crotch with no cup in place to catch it. Admittedly, I'm not claiming this is a memory or false memory or anything. It was more, I'd like it to be this. And in lieu of any evidence to the contrary, I'm just going to decide that this is what this is. I decided years ago that what happens is that the guy puts his money into the vending machine to get a cup of coffee and a huge comedy boxing glove leaps right out and just punches him straight in the nads. And I thought, that's quite sort of left field for ITV <laughs> evening sketch show, but I like it. Yeah, I'd like to see more of this. Um, Unfortunately not. No, it turns out that Paul Squire wasn't quite that surreal. What did you think of Nuts, by the way, now you've watched the whole I thing? I liked Nuts. Yes, it was good fun. And I liked the fact... I mean, when I said it was like a clean Benny Hill, I mean, I sort of mean that as a compliment. It was like, I liked it and I'd like to see more of their work. I think it's probably very easy to get hold of. I've already watched a Clean Cocos, and they did other things for Montreux. They did something about ambassadors called Diplomatics, with an X, uh, which is narrated by Peter Cook. That's a Montreux entry. It's not quite as lively as Nuts. I started watching it and drifted off a bit, but I need to go back to it, because I think it won something one year. don't know if it won the gold, silver, or bronze. And of course, with these Montreux entries, they're much more likely to be in English, and or at least monoglot friendly. Now, I must just mention this in passing, because every time, ever since I saw this on the Cooked and Bombed forum many years ago, whenever this topic comes up of memories that you're trying to prove correct, or memories that may be false, or whatever it may be, this is stuck in my head all these years. When we used to do the live radio shows, there was a chap on the forum called Jesus in Your Bush, he used to turn up in the forum. Hello, if you're listening. Now, back in 2008, he posted this on a forum called Things on TV You Know Only You've Seen and You'll Never See Them Again. Ah. Okay, now I'm going to read this verbatim because I certainly couldn't do it any better than he's written himself. So here it goes. In the early days of Channel 4, I remember watching Eraserhead, brackets, only I later discovered it wasn't. The entire film consisted of a scene with a weird monster baby and its head came off and its neck was very long like a snake and was wiggling around and it went on and on and on just that scene on and on and on for over an hour after I'd seen that whenever I heard anyone gushing about Razor Head I wondered why people thought the film was so good when the thing I saw was utter shit and I rose off the film in my mind and didn't pay any more attention yet years later I saw a clip of the film on some show and it wasn't the scene I saw and it actually seemed quite good. So I realised then there must have been something weird about what I saw. I searched on YouTube and that wasn't what I saw. So what the fuck did I see? Now, I can't claim to have any memories as good as that. That is a belter. I mean, I'd love to have seen something like that. And again, where do you start? Especially if this is pre-internet. Who's the first person you ask about that? Do you ask the librarian? You didn't see that film was on Channel 4 last night, did you? Did you mention it to a passing police officer? Do you write to Barry Tookum points of view? Well, write to reply would be the first port of call. I suppose so. I mean, where, for example, do I write to? And I presume the answer is going to be Scottish television because they're the only people who could feasibly know. Who is it that I write to to ask this question? 
Dear STV, I have this vague memory of Christmas Eve 1981 where one of your announcers impersonated Wurzel Gummidge. Now, when I say impersonated, I don't mean he got dressed up as him. I mean, he... Pulled his head off. No, he suddenly and without warning did a little Wurzel impersonation, which actually caused me some consternation. At the time, I would have been, I think, four. My memory of it is that he says... In a very sort of straight-laced manner. And tomorrow morning on STV, it'll be a Warzel's Christmas show. Cappuccino slice a cake. And that's tomorrow morning at 9am on STV. That, that's how I remember it going. He said cow shed. That's a different matter altogether. We'll come on to that in our show. Okay, where do I start? Do I write to STV? If I write to STV and give them a bloody good laugh by advising them of this... How would they research this exactly? This is what I mean. How do you find out answers to this kind of stuff? That program with the puppet dinosaurs that I'm convinced that I saw once. How? Who do I ask? There needs to be some sort of helpline for this kind of stuff. There definitely does. There definitely does. I remember the time on Yorkshire Television when Graham Roberts did a very brief bit of Delbert Wilkins. <laughs> I think he was introducing the children's programs here. And coming up, we've got some crucial shows. It was very out of character. I'm fairly sure it was Graham Roberts. Can I just, before actually saying it, can I just ask the obvious question at this point? He didn't, did he? It was just the voice. Oh, well, it's Yorkshire Television, so there's no invention continuity. Oh, so we don't know. <laughs> he might have done it. So this is the kind of thing we will return to because as the title indicates we're all about memory we're not just about um who remembers spangles nostalgia we're interested in why things happened the way they did and the entire context of some of this stuff we're not going to sneer like clip show talking heads of the 90s who themselves are now as dated as the things they were sneering at more so i would say I think occasionally we're going to go a little bit highbrow. You speak for yourself. Memory is is what it's all about. And one of the reasons that we're going to have such a nostalgic focus is the things which were in a way too ephemeral to get a great deal of in-depth analysis at the time and were before the internet where everything gets in-depth analysis immediately. I know I meant to say ephemeral, but actually that's a good word for this ephemerable. It's brief, it's temporary, but it sticks in the memory. And I know there's a lot of 70s, 80s, and maybe even 90s nostalgia on the internet out there. I think there's room for us. And if you have a memory that you can't pin down, keep the faith and think of nuts. Because I found it. I found nuts. We'll probably tweet out a link if you want to see nuts for yourself. Otherwise, just search nuts clean kokos, K-L-I-N K-O-K-O-S. Yeah, and do a search for Larry Grayson TV 50 while you're at it, just to be the naysayer in this argument. Yes. If you can find it, you'll make Mooncat very happy. You're not going to find it. (laughs) Don't bother searching for Larry Grayson TV 50, because you're not going to find it, because it doesn't exist. We've proven that now. Search for Jackson's horse. Find me that Jackson's horse sketch, please. That will cheer me up. Or find Brick. Yes, that will help us a great deal. We will be back all being well in about a month's time, with a full, proper, normal-length Jeff Kicks of Proust podcast, and what will we be talking about? We will be talking about the 
previously mentioned Children's Film Foundation. It was a nice light subject, it's got a broad appeal, and very fortunately, we double-checked some of our research. (laughs) Find out next time the appalling libel we nearly committed on George Sweeney and the rest of the cast of Pop Pirates. In the meantime, I've been your old pal Ocho. I've been Hey Hubman Kanko. And you'll hear from us next time on Jaffa Cakes for Proust. <laughs>